On today's episode of the Unabated Podcast, we go behind the counter, sitting down with former bookmaker Aaron Kessler to talk about his stories from 20 plus years of booking the big dance down at the Golden Nugget. It's the guy goes unabated. That's the new word, unabated. That's kind of too big a word. That's like mayonnaise. I'm assuming that's a bigger Hello, everyone, and welcome on into the Unabated Podcast. We are back here post-weekend one of March Madness, and as we get ready for the Sweet 16, it's time to shift gears a little bit here because, Jack, I've noticed for sure, and I'm sure you have some of those edges on the Unabated odd screen, they are drying up as the number of games that we have to bet on here slowly trickles down until we're going to be left with the long slog of baseball in the summer. But... Today, we have a very special guest joining us via satellite from approximately 30 feet to my left, none other than former Las Vegas bookmaker Aaron Kessler, who's here today to talk with us about what exactly it is like behind the counter when it comes to booking a tournament like March Madness. Aaron, thank you so much for being with us here today. Oh, it's my pleasure. One of my favorite times of the year to talk about. That's right. And I mean, some of the stories that we're going to go over in this episode are absolute bangers. I am very excited to get into it. Jack, I know you are as well. Real quick, how was March Madness for you? How was weekend one uh, as far as betting? Well, I thought, I'm, I oh, thought sorry. I thought you meant me. <laughs> oh, sorry. We can cut that out. I, I thought it went pretty well. Uh, I really think that uh, the market seemed to move as it was expected, I didn't see too many, and maybe Aaron was kept an eye on it too, but I didn't see too many instances where uh, odds swung heavily from opener to close. Um, it was a fairly efficient market, uh, which also led to be a little more confident when I was finding edges on uh, lines that were slightly off market. And uh, I came out ahead on the first weekend. It's weird though, Tom, because the entirety of that Thursday through Sunday is less than a Saturday in January with college basketball. In fact, it's probably more like a Thursday in college basketball. So it felt a little bit like, is that it? Isn't there more? I need another bet. Where is it? So, uh, and that's why I'm kind of this Sweet 16, Elite Eight, and then Final Four weekend just doesn't get my juices flowing like uh, that first weekend does. Yeah, I, I definitely noticed I was able to pick up, especially from Selection Sunday to tip off of the first days of the tournament. I was able to pick up a lot of closing line value just with some of the edges that we were picking up. Um, it ended up working out for me, but some of that was jaded by a fairly Dickinson halftime bet at eight to one, which certainly helped boost the uh, boost the final returns. But Aaron, for you, um, what is the best part? Is the best or worst part the fact that you no longer have to go in and book all of these games for the tournament and you get to just sit back and bet them as a as a recreational better? You know, it's funny. It's good and bad. I miss it. I'd be lying if I said I didn't miss the excitement. I didn't miss the action. But man, it's a lot more relaxing this way. I definitely feel that. Now let's talk about that process. Let's talk about what goes on. What is the moment for you where March Madness basically starts? Well, for me, it was when I would drive down Wednesday evening and check into the hotel. I stayed on property all week. I worked open to close. We were open six to 10 and I'd be booking the entire time. So, yeah, you know, get a little cover to go to the bathroom here or there, maybe grab a sandwich. But out of those 64 hours that we were open during tournament week, I was probably at the controls for 62 of them. And it, it is nonstop when it comes to that. How, how do you even find time to do things like sleep? 
Well, we'd go out every night, so I didn't really find a whole lot of time to sleep, but it's the last big push before this, before football, like you said. You've got the entire summer where it's mostly just baseball. You do a little NBA playoffs, a little NHL playoffs. But, you know, summer you can relax. Take a day off here or there. Take a week off. So it's funny. One of my post-March Madness memories every year, I think like seven, diff- seven years in a row, I watched the Masters in a different city. I would just always go out of town as soon as I could after the tournament. And when it comes to trying to find spots to sleep, sometimes you find some interesting ones, right? Yeah, there was uh, an incident where I was approving bets, and I, I was most technically awake in some sense, but uh, we had a really good day that day, and let's just say that was good for me. <laughs> I mean, hey, you didn't make any mistakes. No one, uh, no one questioned it. That just goes to show that you don't even have to. You can literally say, you could bookmake in your sleep. I have done it. <laughs> Jack, uh, what do you, uh, Jack, what do you think here? What, uh, what questions do you have for Aaron as far as the process goes? It, well, you know, Aaron, I think my first question would be is um, more of like the culture of Las Vegas bookmaking versus what has now become the rest of the country's bookmaking. Um, you, you know, previously we had Las Vegas bookmaking versus the world, right? And it, it was much different. And then the U.S. regulated market kind of came to being. And what I've noticed in the U.S. regulated market is it's less of a fraternity of operators. In other words, people don't know each other like they do in the Nevada market. In the Nevada market, and and maybe you can speak to this, it seems like everyone's worked with everyone else at some point in their career. And as a result, they tend to um, you, you don't really throw names around as uh, you don't throw people under the bus because you might have to work with them again in your career. And from what I've heard is you guys, you know, at the end of the day or at the end of the week, uh, you all meet up at the local bar and and share some drinks and tell some stories and things like that. Is is that true? Oh, yeah. I mean, I've been back to that the last couple of years just because we're making numbers doesn't mean I wasn't invited. <laughs> but, you know, it was so much different. It was so much more hands on. And you see that you know, traders of the larger books now, they're still doing something. They're managing risk. You know, they're booking the games. These are not stupid people. These are not people who don't know how the industry works, but it's not nonstop action. You know, you don't have to be on top of every single thing. And it's just a little bit different. And the guys who are doing it back in my day, that sounds weird. But we were used to managing every aspect of it, from the seating to the TVs to the games themselves to reporting to finance. And it's a pretty special group who can do that. And a lot of these guys are, you know, doing booking now in a different way, and they're doing a great job. But we had something that was pretty special. And yeah, everyone knew each other. And you say that people didn't talk bad about each other because we'd have to work with them someday. But for the most part, I think we all had a pretty healthy respect for each other. So, okay. So that would be a follow-up question that I would have is, is that a better approach? Does that make Las Vegas different these days? Because it's more of that, I'll say old school, but it's really not old school, but is it, it's a different approach than what you get with these large monolithic companies that we have now that where you're just, you know, uh, a player that has some kind of risk profile uh, attached to them. And that's it. You know, back in the day, I know if I showed up at the sports book window, I tend to get treated differently than if I was anonymous. Um, and, and sometimes it's just a hello or a, Hey, how you doing? was enough to get a bet through that, 
maybe uh, online these days would be just totally rejected. Um, is is that kind of personal relationship? Is that is that what Las Vegas has these days to offer to the sports betting community? I mean, Vegas is still the best. We've got the greatest experience you can possibly have. But a lot of the online apps have offerings that you can't do in Vegas. And it's not you can't do them because of a regulatory standpoint. It's you can't book 200 markets a game the old way. And for the casual player, that 200 markets a game is important. You know, I know that Unabated is trying to sharpen people up and we want to make a more educated better here. But there's a large percentage of people who just want to throw five bucks on USC to win by 11 to 15. And they want the big payouts. So I think that the market is different. I wouldn't say better or worse. It serves a different community. Okay. I, so I got one more follow-up. Sorry, Tom. I don't mean to, to monopolize the conversation here. Um, so, you know, Rufus often brings this up, is that the, the sports betting operator has a lot of surface area to defend, and you can always find areas where they just don't have the ability to defend that. Um, do you think that's better? And when I say you, I don't mean like, you know, your opinion is, you know, paramount here. I'm just kind of trying to see if what your opinion is in terms of, is that better for the consumer that there's more options? Is it better for the operator? Does it does it provide more jobs? I mean, I don't know. Are the operators hiring more people because they have a higher um, surface area to defend? Or is it all just algorithmic based? And that's how they're defending it. It's a little bit of both. And, you know, it depends on what you mean by the better. Is it better for a large number of betters? Yes. Is it better for a large percentage of the handle? Who knows? But growing the game is always a good thing. And anything that we can do to get people into betting sports and get them interested, hey, that's something that they can consider. They can say, hey, I like betting sports, and they can keep on going. Or they can say, hey, I don't like betting sports. They can watch the game without a bet. But to make it more accessible to people, I think, is a very good thing. And how about going into some of the actual nitty gritty of March Madness itself versus a college basketball weekend. Like Jack said, a, a college football, a college basketball Saturday in February is going to have more games on it than all of March Madness weekend one. It, is it still easier to book all of those games or is it harder because March Madness is going to have so much more handle? And like you said, there were a lot of other wrinkles that would come in, like having to be event coordinators as well for all these for all these watch parties. Yeah, it's different. There's different kinds of action. You know, one thing is in a Saturday with 200 college or 100 college basketball games, 80 of them aren't getting any action anyways. So, you know, as much as we can talk about there's more games on the board. Yeah, you got to stay on top of it. You got to watch the line moves. But nobody's betting Elon Northeastern if they're recreational. You get some sharp guys on it. You might get some guy whose brother went there. But the handle on that game is minimal. Meanwhile, on March Madness, you're taking action on every single game. It's nonstop. And... Yeah, I mean, just the volume is so huge that you're going to be working your ass off. What kind of drop-off do you see from weekend one to weekend two? It's a pretty substantial drop. From what I remember, I think you're looking at more than half. Now, going back into what you were talking about with uh, with the fact that it is an exhausting grind for this week, for this week of tournament play and making sure that you have all these numbers right, staying on top of everything. What are some of the ways that you would find to essentially just try and keep yourself sharp and keep yourself going through this entire week? Uh, you don't have time to think. <laughs> you watch the games 
and you just keep on going. You know, stay on top of what's our parlay liability going to look like. You know, the days that were bad were the days where it's the first three favorites win because then you got to start sweating because the fourth game comes in, that comes favorite. Then you got people who are cashing out and they're going to put it back. They're not the ones you worry about. It's the guy with the eight teamer who ends on the West Coast game. And that's just going to take the big hit out of your day, especially if you've got a bunch of them alive. Would you ever have to, what, what, what would you remember as one of the biggest sweats that you've ever had working behind the counter? There was a late game. I want to say it was Gonzaga and someone. And we had some massive parlay liability to the under in this game to the point where there were three of us in the back office and there's about seven minutes left in the game. I write all the numbers on a whiteboard from 28 down to zero. And every time a point scored, I'm just crossing them off. I'm like, let's get there. Let's get this game over. It did go over. <laughs> it did. So you made it. You, you managed You managed to get out the sweat. Couldn't tell you who Gonzaga was playing, but it went over. <laughs> that that, hey, that Aaron, is great. Uh, Aaron, I, I got a, a question for you. When, when you're booking something like March Madness, where you know that what, 98% of the action is going to be public money, recreational bettors, uh, house players. Um, do you kind of steal your nerves and just say, I'm just going to be the, the sharpest bookmaker I can be. I'm going to keep up with the market. I'm going to keep up with, um, you know, what I believe to be the, the right side. Or does the fact that, like, you might have a large swing of liability, does that play into how you're going to book versus the rest of the Vegas market, because at times, you know, Golden Nugget was sort of like a um, they they stood alone with their own opinions sometimes. And I'm, I'm curious if that was based on their liability or just based on your you know, sharpness. It was a little bit of both. But, you know, it's everyone who says you got to do the right thing as a bookmaker. You got to maximize your profits. You know, take the take the square money. Watch out for the sharps. I want them to send the email upstairs when eight when eight favorites come in. Let them handle that. <laughs> okay. You know, at the end of the day, there's a plus minus figure and you got to justify that. So, yeah, there were times where we took bets that I might not have wanted to take from a standpoint of doing the right thing financially, but it was doing the right thing for the house. You know, you do have to mitigate some things. I got a, one more question about. Um mainly the March Madness players that come through, to, you know, visiting the Golden Nugget, they were they were probably casino players, right? They were probably table games or slot players that also kind of wanted to dabble on sports. Or, or did you have, like, house players that were big sports bettors? Honestly, for March Madness, you get everyone coming in, and you do get people who come in just for the tournament. They might throw 20 bucks in a machine or 100 bucks on a blackjack table, but... You know, if it's March Madness and you're going to that length, look, it's for the experience. You can spend a thousand, two thousand, I don't even know what it costs these days to get to a book, get a table, get your rooms. Between rooms, dinner, food, whatever you're paying for a table cost, you're looking at a couple thousand dollars. Now, unless you have the run of your life, you're not going to win a couple thousand dollars on the turn of the amount that a lot of people who come in are betting. But they're coming in for the experience. They're coming in to have a good time. It's entertainment. And yeah, absolutely catered to that. Did we have players who were house players in the pit who wanted to get higher limits? Absolutely. And yeah, we evaluated those on a case-by-case -case basis. So Aaron, of course, also booking downtown at the Nugget, 
you're in close proximity to a couple other casinos and sports books here. And one that we that some of our listeners might have heard of in Circa and Circa Sports. I don't believe that the hotel the hotel wasn't built yet at this point. But uh, did you have any kind of crosstown rivalry with Derek Stevens and the Circa crew when it came to booking some of these games? I certainly wouldn't call it a rivalry. You know, we love those guys. Derek is fantastic. One of just the nicest people you'll ever meet. Great businessman. And we respect the hell out of them. And I still respect the hell out of them. So they put out a great product. But fun year was uh, the year Michigan made their run to the Final Four. And Derek had bet into us to win a million on Michigan, which to us was quite a bit of money. To most people, is quite a bit of money. So Final Four comes around. Michigan's in it. And first game, they play Florida State. We go down there fully decked out. I went out. I bought a maroon shirt, gold tie, FSU hat. Walk in to watch the game with Derek. And uh, Leonard Hamilton brought out some of his fantastic game coach skills, and they lost. So get to come back for the finals. And Derek went all out for the finals. We're at the D at the long bar. Circa was not built yet. And we're just all rooting on Villanova. Derek's got everyone they're rooting on Michigan. There's these two guys from the Nugget who were just like cheering on every Nova basket. But it was a great time. We had a, we had a lot of fun. Derek's a good friend. And everyone had a good time. Now, Aaron, when it comes to some of this, like you already touched upon it, the fact that you don't just have to be a bookmaker during March Madness. You're everything from accountant to uh, to obviously bookmaker to event planner and event coordinator for these things. Um, what goes into that? How how does it work having so much added on to your job for an event like this? What is some of the what are some of the wild things that you've had to deal with when it comes to the event portion of March Madness? You know, one of the hardest things is the sheer quantity of people. And especially we were in a smaller room and we had an auxiliary book, but that would close a little earlier. So people would all come to cash out at the main book, which seats about 50, 60 people. It's a great book, but the room is not built to handle that line. And the line would go out into the pit. There were days when favorites would come in and we'd be out on the Fremont Street. Wow. But there was one after, there was one evening, we're closing up, and we had this ticket writer who was very chatty. Nice guy, but very chatty. And when he got an idea in his head, you couldn't get it out with a crowbar. So we have a line out the door, five windows open, and every single person who comes to his window to bed cashed out their ticket. He goes, hey, you ever burn the roof of your mouth on pizza? Every single customer. It was incredible. I couldn't believe it. Meanwhile, I'm trying not to lose my mind at the moment. In retrospect, it's very funny. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah. You kind of wish you had automated kiosks at that point just because you don't have to deal with any you know what? It was a pain sometimes, but his register always matched, and he was a nice kid. There you go. Now, when it comes to some of the changes that we've had here over the last several years, uh, especially the legalization, the fact that it's available in so many different states here, how much do you think... Vegas needs to get with the times. How much do you think Vegas needs to update and start pursuing things like being able to have 200 plus options on a, on a betting menu for any given game, things like that. 
can Vegas improve on these things to kind of catch up with some of the gambling world? Because I'll tell you, I was frustrated by the just sheer lack of options that I had here compared to when I threw the unabated odd screen onto New Jersey. You know, people say Vegas needs to improve. Vegas needs to catch up. And they say it like, oh, Casino X isn't doing enough. Casino Y is putting out a bad product. But they don't realize, and this is a little bit inside baseball, software needs to get approved through GLI. And Nevada, for both better and worse, has just an unbelievably stringent testing process on software for their apps. So Nevada software definitely lags behind the industry. And part of that is bad. You know, it's less innovation. It's less options. Part of it is good because Nevada does have the best regulation of the country in terms of consistency and strictness. I know that nobody is perfect, but the Gaming Commission here is very strong. Yeah, you know, I would say that there's probably a lot of things in Nevada that that should be changed, but it's not as if they can just snap their fingers and, and get it done. Um, and, you know, look, we know that for years, William Hill lobbied to have the regulations the way they are because William Hill had 109 of the 139 uh, sports betting locations in the state. And so it was it behooved them to have people go bet in person at the local place because the local place was usually William Hill. And now that obviously the merits of a more dispersed mobile betting environment are are well known, you have to kind of roll back some of those things that they taught into the lawmakers and the regulators in Nevada to get them to change their ways. Um, and in some cases, it's going back on, you know, what they were lobbied in the first place. And, you know, Joe Asher still in the industry at IGT. So it's not like you can just say, oh, they've had a change of leadership at, at William Hill, Caesars, and, and we can kind of change it all now. Um, you know, the, look, the mobile banking, the mobile registration is is pretty big in terms of what Tom sees, but the average Nevada player is a visitor. You know, you guys have a million people living in the state and you have 39 million bettors over the course of the year. And so that's a pretty big percentage that are going to be just in town for a weekend. Um, you know, it would be nice if they could bring their mobile wallets with them in terms of their DraftKings account or their uh, you know, FanDuel account. But, um, you know, a lot of people don't really think that way. They think, you know, oh, I see that game on the TV. I'm going to run over to the sports book here at whatever casino I'm at, throw the bet on any number. I don't care what the number is. They're going to win. Um, so, yeah, I, I can see why Nevada has been slow to change. It's just there's there's not as much demand by the residents uh, and the the visitors are the ones that really drive the economy. If, Again, I don't think it's fair to blame any one jurisdiction on this. At the end of the day, the ideal solution is a wallet you can take within 50 states and don't get geo-blocked, and you can bet whatever you want from wherever you want. But then you need 51 separate entities to agree on something, and that's not a very easy thing to do. That is very true. I, I still think if the pandemic hadn't happened and casinos hadn't shut down, you might still need to walk into a casino and physically hand over cash to fund your betting account in, in Nevada. I don't know. No, that dude. was gone before that. You were able I, to make the deposit before then. I mean, I know a bunch of books. You certainly weren't. Like Play Plus was just starting up then. Or well, the press there was legal. Casinos just most casinos just hadn't adopted it yet. Yeah, that that's more what I'm getting at. Like most casinos didn't want to change from that. Right. Now, Aaron, of course, before I get you out of here, 
you've had some bad tournament beats over the course of history here. And so first off, I have to ask, did you have Purdue this year? I was in two Calcuttas this year, allegedly, of course. And uh, in one of them, had I been in it, I would have taken Purdue because they were undervalued and I couldn't let them get away at that price. And in the other one, I got the top team I really wanted at a price lower than I was willing to pay for them. And I was very lucky to come away with Arizona. So it's been a great week. I'm loving it. (laughs) I I know just by the luck of the draw and the bet, the process, Calcutta, Purdue was undervalued. Like there, you know, it was a, it was a good buy. So um, yeah, that, that ended poorly over in the. Purdue was a fun angle this year. It's what if you took an unstoppable seven foot four monster and paired him with four guys from the Y. (laughs) Apparently, the answer is a bunch of guys from New Jersey can uh, can still beat you. By the way, it is the most on brand that Fairleigh Dickinson is, of course, a team from Jersey, and they were also the shortest D one program. Like, yeah, I I was I'm one of the few that actually has heard of Fairleigh Dickinson. My son actually applied there and got accepted, um, so I I kind of was familiar with Fairleigh Dickinson. All these people that are like, that's a made up name. There's no way there's a school named that. Uh, no, I was oh, you know. Didn't again, he sign look, the Declaration I mean, of Independence? <laughs> what, what was that? Didn't he sign the Declaration of Independence? Well, that I don't know. I don't know the, the origin Fairly of ridiculous. Um, but anyway, no, I the funny thing is, is you know, this year again, we had another New Jersey team, just like last year with St. Peter's. We have Princeton and Fairleigh Dickinson that made these incredible runs. And uh, I had zero action on either of them because I can't bet them, but I can go 10 miles to the west and i can bet all i want it just drives me crazy it was the first time i had friends from new jersey allegedly texting me asking how they could get down bets on princeton and fairly dickinson as opposed to the other way around of me going to them for stuff but again all allegedly here but mm-hmm. uh last year's run was really special for a bunch of people i know because uh, of course saint peter's one of their star players was from my town and so everybody was just kind of jumping on the bandwagon, like, holy crap, this is this is our team now. So that was a lot of fun. Tommy, we watched that game at a Chili's in Hollywood. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, that's a that's a flashback right there. I remember that now. Always get the fajitas. Big most Always plus EV move I made all turn all tournament. Always get the fajitas. All right. Aaron, thank you so much for being with us here today. Uh, one more question before we get you out of here. Actually, two. But first off, we got the Sweet 16 coming up. Now that the tournament field is halved, who do you have taking it all? I think there's five teams left that can win the thing. And if you give me just a second, I'll be able to remember them. <laughs> uh, I think that the winner of the arkansas Yukon game goes on to the finals. I don't like the team they're going to play in the semifinals, no matter who it is. And I think the Gonzaga and UCLA are both a little bit overrated. UCLA down Jalen Clark is going to hurt them. So I think whoever wins Arkansas-UConn is going to be one of your teams in the final game. Houston, still very tough. Alabama, still very tough. And the team that I think is really good that I'm kicking myself for not betting earlier in the season is Creighton. I'm very high on Creighton. Think they play a great style of ball. They don't have a ton of stars, which they've got about four guys I trust, which worries me. But those four guys are really good. And as long as Kalkbrenner can stay healthy, I think Creighton is absolutely nasty. 
I was honestly surprised when I saw that Creighton's only made what two Sweet Sixteens. Yeah, I mean they've had their ups and downs. They've never been quite at the peak, and they've had a couple failures from a higher seed. This year, I knew the whole time that they had three seed talent. They fell to six. I get it. They took the losses when Colbrenner was out. You can't take those losses off your record. I had NC State futures. I think NC State beats the hell out of any of the other six teams, six seeds in this tournament. But Creighton was a three seed dressed as a six, and that was a little frustrating for me. Yeah, I, I mean, we will see how far the uh, the Jays manage to go. But Aaron, thank you so much for being here with us today. Where can people find you and the great work you're doing around the internet, mostly in meme form? Just find me on Twitter, Aaron Kessler. And I did not hear the last part of your sentence, but it didn't sound good. <laughs> All right, Aaron, thank you so much. That is going to do it for us here today. Make sure to check back in this week because, guys, baseball season is upon us, and that means we have a new show coming out for you, so stick around for that. Very excited to bring that one to you. And as always, make sure you follow us on Twitter, on Instagram, at Unabated Sports. Head on over to unabated.com. Get yourself signed up for a trial today. And check out all of the awesome tools that we have at your disposal. I know that the betting season is winding down into summer, but that doesn't mean you can't at least be sharper on your MLB bets this season. You got that grind coming up. Let's get into it together. That's going to do it for us. As always, best of luck on the rest of the tournament. And let's cash those tickets.